Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Now you're very welcome along to the Hollow Breakdown on this sunny Tuesday evening. If you hear birds chirping and children playing in the background it's because i'm letting some of the fresh air come in and hit me and maybe take me down from the anger of just being inside recording this podcast while there's actual sunshine in ireland we don't get it too often so yes i am bitter that we're going to be recording this podcast at half five but we have to do it because celtic are victorious once again 4-1 against Kilmarnock at the weekend. Welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. I'm Enda Call, and I'm joined by Alan Morrison and Juco James, as always. Lads, is it nice and sunny where you uh, you guys are? Well, it, 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 yeah, it, it rained. We're in a sandwich here. Uh, we, we don't get spring that much anymore. I'm in Pennsylvania. And um, so it was about, I don't know, 28, 29 degrees, a couple of, you know, I'm fluent in Celsius in case you didn't know that. Um, and then uh, today it's, you know, a lot cooler. And then tomorrow we go back to like 30. It's crazy in, in this time of year. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah. So, Well, it's a, it's about 14 degrees here. So I would say it's tops off weather almost <laughs> at this point in time. Show off the man boobs weather for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's sunny. Well, You're very windy, actually. You don't, you don't get perfection. <laughs> no, no, we don't get it too often uh, here in Ireland, so I'm pretty happy that it's here. So, uh, look, there's, uh, it's these are the difficult games I find to analyze because it was so conclusive, four one to Celtic in the end. So we're going to try to pick through it as best we can. There were a good few talking points actually from this game that we can dig our teeth into. I guess the the first one is the start nine up in this game that was changed from the weekend and. It was some interesting changes, some changes we were probably waiting to see some players get minutes in, in certain games. Karl Starfelt was moved to right centre-back. We're going to talk about that. Kobayashi came in at left centre-back. We'll talk about his performance. Tomoki Iwata moved into the midfield. And uh, then Hak also came in for a rare start in the team. So if you're joining us on YouTube, do leave your comments. How did you find the game? What do you think of the game? And make sure you like the video as well. Um, Alan, I guess we'll we'll start with your general thoughts in the game. I watched this game on my phone in Copenhagen while I was waiting to go out for my dinner because I was on my holidays. And it was just your bog standard game away from home where Celtic scored early and continued to score and the game was over within 35 minutes, essentially. Yeah, it was a 
pretty sort of bleak, minimalist view of what the world, I think, reflects your current current depression due to lack of uh, vitamin D, I think, and get out there and get some sun. Um, I, I think it, I think it's also another, left over from, from paying 15 uh, euros a pint in Copenhagen, probably. Not, 15 not, euros being kind. 15 euros uh, being kind. I paid 25 euro for two coffees and two croissants. <laughs> I now know why you're grumpy. <laughs> it was a lot cheaper in Budapest, I have to say. But yeah. uh, listen, no, it, it, I thought it was actually a very interesting match in many ways. Um, the, and the first 27 minutes, to be precise, were possibly the best we've seen Celtic play on a on an artificial pitch in terms of the pace that they moved the ball, you know, the, the fluency of movement of passing, all helped, of course, by. Um, Kilmarnock playing this kind of four four two, which on the face of it you think, okay, well you can be very compact with a four four two. We've talked about Celtic playing four four two without the ball uh, in, in sort of defensive mode uh, in in European games, for example. But this 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 wasn't that. This is, this this was a pretty stretch four four two with lots of space and the mid the wide players never tucking in and the two in the middle getting completely overrun. And Matt O'Reilly just had the time of his life in the first 27 minutes. He was basically allowed to wander wherever he wanted and had the freedom of the central areas to cause absolute merry hell. So it was interesting from that respect and interesting that, you know, having made changes, Celtic, to be so fluent off the bat and to get the game done in those first 27 minutes uh, was was pretty impressive. Um, Thereafter, I think it was kind of job done and the second half was... I'm going to mention David Dickinson, the referee, because I think he's, he actually ruined the game for both teams. He he just blew up for virtually every contact in the second half and just killed it. Kilmarnock obviously did better. They had to. They went back to a more sort of 4-5-1 and they sat deep and they just tried to not concede any more goals. And then they got a bit of joy with a few free kicks and corners and so forth until Celtic picked it up again in the last 10 minutes when they got tired again. So, yeah, listen, lots of interesting details within that to pick up on. But that was my sort of general summary of the game. What about you, James? Are you similar enough to Alan here? Yeah, I, I think that the, I'll characterize the, the first half as Derek McInnes not getting the St. Mirren memo. <laughs> that everyone else had uh since since september and he's not uh, on the whatsapp is he yeah <laughs> he's he he, he's out of that group um so yeah the, the second half they were a little more and I, yeah i think it was just so they understandably um didn't want to get further humiliated because if they had kept up with that i mean it could have been any any number <laughs> um high single digits or even worse so uh yeah and, and you know again i Twitter is always such a hellscape, but um, seeing people get upset when we're up 4-1 and mailing it in in that kind of game, uh, I mean, it was. I mean, the second half was largely an eyesore, but, you know, again, this time of season, these guys have played a lot of games. It's on that kind of pitch against what's effectively a rugby team. <laughs> um, and with the with the ref blowing anyone that, uh, you know, fouls if, if you breathed on somebody, I mean, it was just a it was a pretty rough second half watch, but yeah, I, I agree with Alan. The first half actually had some interesting aspects to it. And it, 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 again, opens up this idea that, you know, this, this legacy mentality, this is my point of view that I've declared uh, multiple times is that this legacy mentality that when Celtic come in, you should have a go, you know, when you're at home 
and you're one of these teams that just do not have the quality to do that, this is the kind of thing that's going to happen against uh, this version of Celtic under Ange. And, you know, again, with that, those kind of spaces stretched out between the lines, I mean, it was just um, shredding them. So uh, that was fun to watch. And then, you know, the second half, not so much. Mm. It's not the first time this season that Derek McInnes has just opened the doors for Celtic to run through them. It's, it really shows a probably a lack of awareness within the structure that he's trying to play that, I mean, you know, fair play to them. They wanted to play that way and they got punished within the first half. But yeah, Jesus, it was, it was a bloodbath from about the fifth minute onwards from Celtic. You mentioned the word legacy there. Before we move on to the game specific, I want to talk about Kyogo uh, for one second because he scored the first goal in this game. That's 23 goals this season now in the SPFL, 29 goals altogether this season in all competitions. Uh, now, He's well off the actual record of single season goals of Jimmy McGrory, but I don't think anybody will get to that <laughs> at this point in time. And um, I can't find the correct number for Henrik Larson's best season for Celtic in a single season. But this like this guy is doing some, Yeah, I think it was in the in the fifties. Yeah, I was gonna say it's fifty or fifty two, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's clearly not gonna get anywhere near that, and he's clearly not anywhere near the level that Henrik Larson was at his peak. But 29 goals at this stage of the season with a large amount of the games still to play in two competitions, there's a strong possibility that he could potentially reach the 35-40 goal mark, which is just exceptional, really. Like, There's not too much you can say about him other than he's evolved his game from the first season that he came, probably out of necessity. In the first season, he was required to do a lot more, whereas this year he's just a killer in the box and has managed to stay fit which is probably the most important aspect of him scoring so many goals this year. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he's probably what, got six, hopefully eight games left. So, you know, you probably shouldn't expect more than maybe a goal a game or just under, you wouldn't have thought. So, yeah, he might, he might, get, into, he might get into the sort of, uh, hopefully he gets over 30 at least sort of thing. Um, you know, d- difficult to compare because, um, like, for example, even Larson um, rarely, you know, rarely was substituted that much. So he would generally be playing 90 minutes in most games. Uh, it just, I mean, you didn't have the, the, the number of substitutes in those days, um, you know, even in the early 2000s. So um, what you have to remember with Kyogo, as I said before, in terms of putting his achievements into context is, that he's never he's rarely playing anything like 90 minutes and he's and he's virtually always playing against the best of the opposition i.e. from the start when they're fresh when they're fit when they're fully motivated not demotivated not being run ragged not tired etc so he he has to unlock the best of the opposition there's no sort of cheap late goals when when you're already 3 or 4 nil up sort of thing so i think that's important context for him so i think with you know in terms of Looking at you know Gary Hooper had a couple of good seasons etc. I would look at goals per ninety minutes completed really as as the sort of comparator, and I think uh, Hugo I, I haven't checked but he might be around about point eight five, which I suspect is as good as that one of you know equal with probably the best that Larson managed actually in a season. Um, you know, listen, different times, different competition, different um, opponents, different style of football in many respects, but. Just on, on a raw numbers basis, 
um, I suspect his season is up there on a, on a by minute basis with any of the sort of strikers that we've seen in, in recent sort of last well this century, let's say. Mm. I, I mean, the comparison to Larson is always one that comes up because that's the last really truly great striker that Celtic have had. They've had very good players as strikers in recent memory, but Enric Larson's the last great one that Celtic could have played at any team in any league in any world and would have been up there with the best players amongst them. But James, with Kyogo, it's sort of that modern side of Celtic where we might have this guy for three seasons, you know, argument's sake, we have him for four or five and he probably ends up playing for Celtic for the rest of his career. I think that's unlikely, but if he stayed, we're probably looking at a consistency that he's easily a 25-goal striker for Celtic every single season. And that's something that we haven't really seen recently. Yeah, it's, you know, the the other two that would be in consideration, you know, and kind of the um, last, you know, let, let's say uh, since 1516, you know, since Roger's arrival, obviously Dembele and Edouard, and those were really young guys who, you know, had let's call it complex uh, uh, experiences at the club, and they're particularly in their final seasons for both of them. Um, and they, you know, um, being that young, it, it's just different. You know, when you get a guy who's Kyogo's age, who's co- you know coming in more mature, um, you know, maturity typically comes with more professionalism, more consistency. Um, you even saw that with Larson. I'm not saying professionalism, but you know, when he when he first arrived, he wasn't what he turned into. He kind of grew into that after a couple of seasons, particularly coming back from the broken leg. So, um, yeah, I, I just you know, he's such a joy to watch. And um, the other aspect of this is that he's playing in a system in a league that's just getting absolutely obliterated. So, you know, Alan and I, I think we're on the same page at pretty comfortably uh, expecting over a hundred goals this season. Uh, We've already hit it. You know, people are talking about, you know, can we, can we get up, uh, you know, approach some of the, the other uh, high marks uh, in recent years. I I think that the, the Lisbon season is probably a little too far, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, so you have to account for that too. I mean, he's scoring within the context of, I I think Celtics top uh, goals when Larson may have been 97 um, for the team. I don't know. I'm, I'm going off memory. I have a spreadsheet for that, but um, that that's, that might be off, but that's, uh, that, that's what, 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 if I remember right for maybe the Oh two Oh three season, but um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I think he's definitely the most productive we've had since Larson better best, you know, those are all kind of difficult things to, to talk about. And he, he has such a specific role that he's playing that we've we've discussed repeatedly about this kind of low volume of touches and to your point out uh and he he's just a an assassin in the box i mean it's mm. um and he, you know people even talked about questioning his finishing at one point last season it's just you know that's been looney looneyville talk um he's been very consistent overall and um like i said i just really enjoy watching him alan i think you've pulled up a few numbers here have you 
Yeah, so when you asked that question, I was I knew I had some spreadsheet somewhere that would have a little bit of help on this. So sorry, I've just been digging about as James has been speaking. So a couple of things on Larson. Like I said, I mean he made three hundred and fifteen appearances for Celtic and he played the ninety minute equivalent of three hundred and one, which basically tells you he nearly always played ninety minutes, right? So you've got to take that into account. There's no with Kyogo, you're not seeing any sort of as I say, late, let's call it late cheap goals and in big wins, that kind of thing. But in terms of you know Larson, like you say, he started relatively slowly. Like he said, he scored 19 goals in his first season in nearly 50 games, but then he hit his stride. And he was, and even then, even though he got that horrendous injury, he came back and, and then had his best season where, where he scored 53. Now, in that season, he was scoring 1.07 goals per 90 minutes, which was easily his best. His next best after that was the uh, the two thousand and two two thousand and three season where he he was he was at, he scored forty four and he was at point nine goals per ninety minutes. Kyogo was at point nine five, so he's he's actually better than Larson's second best season. Not quite as good as Larson's best season, but certainly you know he's up there. You know. Oh, sort of second, if you like, to Larson's best season in terms of goals per ninety minutes, and I think that you know I know we talk about the relative strengths of the league and and that you can you can debate that, but I say given the context that he's always performing for virtually for sixty six five minutes against the best of teams, I think that's a pretty admirable strike rate uh, and compares very well with as I say with with, with Pete Larson really in that regard. Well, I yeah. think the disparity just on, on just, just on goals, obviously, just on goals. I think there's a large disparity on penalty goals there too, as well. I mean, at Kyogo's, well, the, yeah. So yes, that that um, Larson yeah, so missed, missed a ton more of penalties than Kyogo. Well, well <laughs> <laughs> right, but uh, yeah. So he, he yeah. Missed, or some of them. <laughs> yeah, you you hit more, you miss more. That's the Messi conundrum. You know? right. Why does Messi miss so many penalties? Well, he takes every single one of them, so he's bound to he miss a couple of them. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and you don't yeah. you don't get you don't get. I mean, you got to factor in Larson 128 assists. As well, so yeah, yeah. I'm not yeah, comparing yeah. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Footballers, we're Bef- comparing the scoring rate, right? The scoring rate yeah. is what we're talking about. Yeah. Before people in the comments come at us, no, we are not saying <laughs> Kyogo is better than Henrik Larsson. Yeah. No, we're not. <laughs> but I will address one comment, and that is John Duncan, who is saying that Kyogo doesn't even enter the top five strikers for Celtic. Lee Griffiths was better for Celtic than Kyogo. I cannot disagree more. That's all I'll say to that. <laughs> Cannot disagree more. Uh, let's let's get into this game then, because there are some, a couple of things to um, touch on in this game, and one of them is a centre back. And there is a comment in that sort of uh, goes to this, and it's Kukabura says the Starfelt looks so much more comfortable playing on his natural right side, and the same can be said with Kobayashi on the left, throwing a curveball in here. Could this be the? the future of Celtic centre-backs if they sell Cameron Carter-Vickers, which they potentially could. I, I mean, I, I think, and we've discussed this in the past, uh, you know, the, all, all of the issues that Starfelt has are compounded by him playing on the left. Um, and he's effectively being asked in that role to play the, to an extent, the ball-playing centre-back role. I mean, he's the one that, carries the ball more he's the one that because we're so still tilted left-sided not as much as we had been in the past but we still tilt uh to the left and uh so if you just look at his volume of actions and what he's asked to do it's a bigger 
role and it doesn't really suit him that well. At least I, I think I'll speak for Alan there. We collectively agree on that. Um, so with him having that right-sided role, it's simplified. He's not being asked to do as many things. Um, and yeah, I, I think he probably line. I, I still think there are issues there that make him less than ideal. But if I was going to play him somewhere, it would be in that position in that role. Um, and I think he would be materially better in that role than what he's been in the one that he's played. Mm. Yeah. It's sort of a weird thing when you see someone switch to a different side and how much of an impact that can make. I think you, you sort of see that with Man United. Now Harry Maguire has come in at the right center back, whereas predominantly he's played on the left and it, what Eric Ten Hag said about that, and it's, it makes total sense. And I would imagine it's very similar to the, uh, to Starfeld and his conversation now playing as a right center back is the passing angles change completely for him now as somebody who's carrying the ball out because he's right footed. He's naturally right footed. He sees more coming in onto his natural right foot. And it's one of those fancy words, Alan passing angles that is a modern term in football, but in real life term, it, it just means that the game opens up in front of you much better and you're much more uh, comfortable in the angle that you're going to be passing the ball. It's very simple stuff, but can make a big impact. I think I like James's phrase about, you know, simplifying the game for him. Um, And that's really what it boils down to for me, Um, because you've got two very contrasting centre-backs for Celtic. You've got Cameron Carter-Vickers, who's got this amazing gift to be able to simplify the game in front of him. You know, he doesn't overcomplicate in his decision-making. You know, he's very sure about his positioning. He's very decisive in his actions. And he, he rarely makes a bad, a bad decision, he doesn't overcommit. He doesn't, he doesn't lay himself open to risk by trying to do something that doesn't look to be, you know, as a low probability event, like trying to win a header that's just not possible or trying to get his foot in when he just, you know, the player, the player is shielding it well. Whereas Starfield's almost the opposite. He, he tries to do things. He tries to, to be very front foot, very aggressive, but he takes by doing so he takes risks in his defending. Now, by being at least on the right side, you kind of reduce some of that. Certainly, on the ball activity, he probably don't changes the nature of his defending, but you make the game simpler for him from a passing perspective. And let's face it, you know, a Celtic centre back might have maybe 10 duels in a game, but they'll probably be attempting nearly 100 passes. So actually, you're simplifying an enormous part of the game for Starfelt by by simply having him on that side. And, you know, it's just the simple fact of when he is on the ball and there's not a pass on, and we watch him, this horrendously complicated, cumbersome movement that he makes to turn to get the ball onto his right side and then almost falls over as he squares it across the box. And it's you know, you put him under pressure and that all becomes quite stressful. So if you if you remove that and he can play comfortably off his right foot on the right side, I just think it makes it just reduces an awful lot of risk from 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 the game. I've tried to find out, sort of nudge and prompt <laughs> as best I can with the limited sort of context I've got as to why is it that he's on the left and why is Cameron Carter Frick is on the on the right. I mean I don't honestly know. I don't believe there's a. I don't. I, I, and someone can welcome to come on and correct me, but I don't believe there's a like a tactical reason for it. It might even be as simple as Cameron Carter Vickers was there first and he started on the right, and I was like, well, we'll not move him because he's doing well. Now I do think there's a. If that is the case, there is a strong case to say, look, 
Cameron Carter-Vickers, I would imagine if you played him right or left, you're going to get a pretty consistent level of performance from him because he just seems to be that kind of player. Therefore, why not put him on the left and just make the game simpler for Starfelt because he's clearly the one that other teams target. He clearly, you know, we get more errors out of him. It's more danger comes down his side. So the more we can make that simpler, I think the, the, the more we de-risk uh, for the whole team, but uh, it's, it's one I don't understand. I'll be honest with you. It's one thing I, I don't know why they they align that way. But we saw the other, you know, he was up against two big strikers. It can often cause him problems. He he was he was fine. He was really good. Mm. Is it is Starfelt better at taking the ball out than Cameron Carter Vickers, or is, is that just something that is done because it's coming from the left hand side? I, well, I mean, I would measure that by sort of uh, looking at kind of pack passing, because that's basically, you know, reasonably aggressive front foot passing. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm, I'm looking at a very complicated spreadsheet. <laughs> if you look at the, if you look at this this kind of season, then you know what you're looking at for Starfelt sort of packing score 52 per game, Carter Vickers 48. So you could argue there's not a lot in it. And actually, you could argue, you know, Starfield off his wrong side might even be a better ball progressor, and he might even get better numbers if he put him on his right side. Hmm. Yeah, I, I to Starfield's credit, I I think um, he's made material improvements in that regard. Um, you know, he as I used to joke, he he'd, he'd go and walk about quite a bit, um, where he'd carry the ball a long distance into the attacking half or even the attacking third, and then do the curly where he go. And spin around, and not really know what to do with it, and he's, I think he's gotten better at not putting himself in those. And in fairness, Christopher Iyer used to do that too, by the way, a lot more than people think or remember. I think um, so. You know, he, he takes himself into a position now where I think he's made a lot of progress in ball progression, but then he smartly gets rid of it and gives it to somebody who's going to do a better job of you know taking that next step. And that's I think he he has. Um, shown the ability to accelerate with Morton. It's my, this is my eye test. I think he's faster on the ball than Carter Vickers in the carry, you know, progressing that ball. I mean, he's, just, he's a fast guy, so I think he's got better pace. And that's where I do think he has improved in the ability to carry at pace and do it under control. It's that end. What do you do with it once you get there? Where I think he's also improved and kept that simple and not tried to do to try to do too much. Um, so yeah, I, I, again, I, I think. Um, you know, we get back to Starfelt is more so um, the other the other elements that I think are, you know, just probably never going to get much better. Um, I shouldn't say never, but I, I, I'm skeptical that they'll get that much better is that I don't think he offers that much in attacking set pieces that continues to be fairly woeful, <laughs> um, which, again, also is kind of like uh, Iyer, who never really improved in that regard either. Um, and, you know, until proven otherwise some of these mental lapses you know maybe, maybe that gets um, reduced because of being more natural and comfortable playing on the right theoretically I could see that um, potentially but um, yeah so I I, I, I I think he's got the vast majority of what Carter Vickers would bring on the right but I also agree with Alan that Carter Vickers probably has an easier time transitioning over um to to the left side so I, I i agree that it's been kind of a quixotic um fit yeah jumping on your natural side is easier than jumping on your 
non-natural side, your your weaker side. So you'd theoretically think that under the high ball on the right-hand side, Starfelt would be stronger, but this is all hypotheticals, which is, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to deal in hypotheticals without saying too much of him. Like Starfelt was strong at the weekend, could be terrible next week if he plays right center back. It's, it's very hard to know, but it seems like he would be naturally stronger on the right-hand side. And with a natural left center back, which Celtic have been lacking for, let's say 15 years. Least. Since chuckles, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris Fryer wasn't a natural left center back for sure. But I mean, with we now have one in, in Kobayashi who looks really comfortable there. Theoretically, if Celtic were to lose Cameron Carter Vickers, it wouldn't be ideal, but Starfelt seems to look like a player who would be comfortable enough filling in as a, the right center back. Is that where we're coming out, out of this discussion? It's not I, I what you would want, but you would deal with yeah. it. I, I think he'd make a great backup to Awada as the starting right center back, but that's okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> and w- what about um, what about Kobayashi then? I seen somebody make the comparison to him and an NFL quarterback. So James, you're the resident Yank here. Explain what people are talking about here. Yeah, so I, I think my guess would be is being able to have your head up and read, you know, up the pitch for guys who are moving into space. Um, and then effectively not only identifying, but then accurately delivering the pass um, and to do it in a way where they have, you know, decent body shape and are, aren't going to get attacked immediately from um, defenders and, and lose possession. So I suspect that's probably what the analogy is. And, and I generally agree. I mean, even at looking at him coming in from Japan, that seemed to be, you know, his, his relative strength um, and that, uh, very different situation, but if you're again, if you're going to tilt things on on question marks, it would be more on the defending side um, uh, and and consistency there, and you know, um, you know wh- whether he's going to be able to uh, c- compete at that higher level in that regards. But yeah, his his skill set on the ball, I think he, he's definitely um, beginning to show that 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 quality that that again looked like he had uh, coming out of Japan. Mm. He carries himself in a similar vein to Christopher Ireland, like in the sense of he's tall, natural, looks comfortable on the ball, looks like a guy who's confident in possession, which, you know, a couple of players that we've had Starfelt on the left-hand side does not look the same as, um, as Kobayashi does. And that can lead to, like perceptions in favor of Kobayashi and perceptions against Starfelt. So I am aware of that, that just because somebody looks uncomfortable in the ball doesn't mean that they are uncomfortable in the ball. But Kobayashi looks like someone who's going to be very comfortable even under pressure. Yeah, I mean, you know, the data around turnovers by Starfelt in the defensive third kind of prove, prove that point. But listen, um, Kobayashi then. So I agree, I, I agree with what you're saying in terms of the things I look at. I look at natural because the thing i love in a football player is balance uh so you know in terms of he's, he's upright he looks balanced in, in that he you know he's his movements are, are quick on either side he maintains his balance at pace he seems to be able to you know to play off both sides reasonably comfortable I, I i like the fact that on on sunday there were two or three occasions when it looked like kilmara could press quite well they'd pinned celtic's defense in and Kobayashi played quite 
simple but quick passes out and basically broke through the press very easily. I, I really like that uh, a lot, and that because that's obviously that's the kind of thing you want to see in Europe, uh, for example, where where you will get press well and you will have to to, to react quickly to to kind of break that press. And you know, in terms of his distribution. I mean, he completed 122 passes, which was 23 more than the next player. He had 26 pack passes, which is 13 more, so double the next highest, which was Taylor. And now these weren't, to to, to sort of labour the quarterback analogy, these weren't sort of looking to get into the end zone type passes. These were more, you know, five-yard first down passes. They were relatively safe, but they progressed the ball, and that's fine. I mean, I don't, I don't expect the centre backs to be doing to be doing that. You don't expect sort of Glenn Hoddle kind of passes every every two minutes sort of thing. You want you want the ball progressed. You want it to progress quickly and safely. And he absolutely did that. He did that really, really well. Um, didn't see much of him in an attacking sense, even in the box, because he he is to your point. He is taller. For sure, than Starfelt and Carter Vickers, they're both and Welsh. Really, they're both kind of barely six foot, and they're all sort of barely six foot. Let's get that debate started again. Whereas Kobayashi looks, at, you know, an inch or inch or two kind of taller than, than those players. Having said that, he did get beat on aerial a few aerial, a few aerial balls uh, by Vassal. So you know, he you know, but but but, but actually, he won a few. Uh, he won a few ground duels as well, so he was quite sort of quick and decisive in the tackle. So I, I like the look of him. He looks, again, he looks somebody who's technically very good. He's strong enough. He's probably going to lose a few aerial balls, but then we know that every team in Scotland has a big lad up front or or two, and we'll, we'll, we'll prey on that. It's not the end of the world as long as you're organised around second uh, second balls. Or, or you know, you, you, sometimes Starfield, as I say, creates problems because he attacks things he's never going to win. Uh, I think Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. 
Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Kobayashi, you know, went for went for high balls that he had had a right to go for. He just sometimes was was beaten by the, the, the bigger, stronger player. So yeah, I think, I th- and I think the ball progression is absolutely spot on. But the bit I liked most of all was just those little moments where he, he got himself out of trouble just because technically he's good, his his control was good, his balance was good, his strength was good, and uh, he just had that little bit of quality to get out of sticky situations. As I say, because those are the things you need your defenders to do in tight spots in Europe. Mm. For those of you who already have a vein bursting on the side of your head at the Kyogo Larson comparison, I'm going to say that a better comparison to Kobayashi than Ayer is probably Virgil van Dijk, so beware that vein might be about to burst. But just in, not in the sense of defending, we have not seen nearly enough of him to make that comparison and, and how good he's going to be. But in terms of the, he oozes confidence. He, it's almost an arrogance that he oozes in in many ways, which I I love to see from a modern centre back. And he's if, if he's able to develop his longer passing, that's what Virgil van Dijk is, you know, thrives on doing is that long diagonal ball, which could bring some extra dynamism to Celtic's attack, which would be nice if we didn't have to always rely on going through the centre of the midfield, which would be uh, nice against teams who play a deeper line against us. So we we shall wait and see how he's going to be used. Um, Tomoki Iwata also came into this game as a starter. And I know we've spoken about him a couple of times in the last couple of pods, but this was a game where we got to see more of him, James, and what we saw of him was very, very positive. And pretty much all of what we've seen in him so far, by the lack of creativity potentially, has been positive. Yeah, he's living up to the billing. I mean, that one kind of profiled what he what he look, played like and looked like um, in Japan. He, he's showing all those qualities. Uh, I, I characterized him as preternaturally safe in his passing. That was in his data from Japan. And I think so far he's basically... Um, you know, displayed that gives the ball away very infrequently, um, but relatively safe. You know, he's functional in his passing. He's not, you know, uh, stunted, meaning that he's not a simpleton in his passing, but he's generally safe. He's not going to be doing a lot of um, line splitting, you know, creative uh, passing from deep, uh, which is, again, kind of why I like him the idea of him at center back, but, um, but he's got that athleticism. He's got that size. He's very aggressive in the tackle, strong. Um, uh, and he seems, he seems to be kind of a, a, a smart, tough type of character. And that's, um, you know, th- that, that when you, when you put all that together, that that's a pretty compelling defensive midfielder. Um, and, and with some pace, which is nice too, when he's, he's got that size. So, um, yeah, I, to, to me, it, it hasn't been about um, questioning his quality. It's more of an issue of how does he fit within the other, you know, puzzle pieces and, and where he might be best utilized. I think that's, to me, the more interesting question because he, he does appear to be a very, very, you know, um, consistently quality player and, and reliable in what he looks like he's good at do- doing. And those things tend to be, you know, the consistent aspects, I mean, that creativity can kind of come and go a little bit, you know, that's the more volatile aspect of the game. Uh, whereas the kind of stuff that he does really well are the kind of things that he can deliver pretty much every game 
Um, and that has a, a lot of uh, value when, when you can do mm. it at such a high level. Well, Alan, we actually, we spoke about this midfield three of Iwata, McGregor and O'Reilly because before, because it was the Ross County game that all three of them started together. Now it started with a different pairing that, you know, Haksabanovic wasn't as a winger and made it and then Kyogo up front. So, I mean, that does impact the midfield and what they're able to do, but we didn't see much from a creative standpoint from that th- that trio against Ross County. But in this game, it definitely seemed to click very, very nicely. And there was not, they were certainly not lacking in creativity with having Iwata and McGregor in the same team at the same time. Uh, it was interesting. It was kind of fluid. I mean, I don't, I don't think at any point, I mean, one of them would would obviously always be that anchor, but it, it varied as to who that was. It was quite interesting in that respect that, you know, there was that flexibility in terms of um, who was the deeper. In fact, it's quite interesting if you look at the, um, I've got the Statsbomb passing network map, which kind of also, it's, just, it's a very simplistic view, but it kind of gives you an average position for the players. And actually McGregor, Aniwata occupy exactly the same position in central midfield, um, meaning that they, they kind of alternated really between who was going to be the, the anchor and who kind of maybe broke forward. And so I, I like that. I was like letting intelligent players, um, you know, take, make, make, make decisions. In the second half, McGregor probably dropped a little bit deeper. Iwata probably pushed on a little bit deeper, but you couldn't say that either was really playing as a, as a, a kind of eight. In fact, it really was more of a four-two-three-one. In all honesty, it, it, without you know, when we had the ball, it was more that shape. Um, so we didn't really overcommit. Uh, again, too many players forward. I mean, Johnson and Taylor got forward a lot more than they had done in the Derby game, and and obviously O'Reilly, as we said, was basically free to be another striker. He was given so much, so much freedom. So he water allowed that to happen by being disciplined, um, being well organised, and communication well with, with um, McGregor in terms of uh, you know uh, who 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 was going to sit and who was going to go. That was obviously had to have been going on for Celtic to maintain the shape and without overcommitting, which I didn't get a sense happened, and we didn't certainly didn't get caught out on transition uh, as far as I can remember. So. In terms of its numbers, nothing, nothing spectacular. I would say, um, as you say, it's, it's passing is kind of safe. Um, it's not too expansive. Uh, he doesn't really get involved. In fact, when he did get the ball a couple of times on the edge of the opposition box, he was kind of circumspect. He he didn't, uh, apart from one really nice nice shot which he hit hit well. Um, he was really looking to bring others into the game. Um, but I think also again context, right? We have to be um, you know patient with him. He's a bit like um, you know Maeda, Ediguchi, and Hatati last season. They 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 came in during the January window, and if you remember, they'd come off a full Japanese season, and then then they'd had a bit of a break, and then they almost they had a, a short pre-season essentially, which was Celtic's winter break, and it's been much the same for um, Maeda and uh, Kobayashi this time around, where they've kind of come off a full season, they've had a a bit of they've had a bit of a break, then they've had a bit of a short pre-season. And now they're kind of starting to to ramp up on the minute. So I would, I would suggest we're not seeing the best of him possibly yet, and that's okay. You know, I think you know a full a full structured preseason where he's at the same level as all the other players. I think we'll start to see him. But I'm like James. I'm super excited about it because he's the sort of player we don't really have. 
Uh, I don't mind the fact he's not overly creative because I think we've got enough risk takers on the pitch at any one time. Mm. So you need you need a couple of players that are just going to be steady. Uh, and he seems to be good at that. And, and, and he does give that bit of pace and physicality around the place as well. So I don't think we're seeing anything amazing, but I think we're seeing a really solid, intelligent footballer. And that's that's good enough for me at this stage. Yeah. And it certainly helps when Matt O'Reilly is playing well to add that creativity to the midfield because I guess that was probably the missing link in the Ross County game is that that was a period where Matt O'Reilly was not playing well and he definitely seems to be playing with more confidence now in the last number of games and um, you know got the assist against Rangers and now uh, got a goal in this game as well and he's just he just seems to be playing a little bit more free and maybe that comes from who knows where it comes from at this point? <laughs> it's like I think, it's I think just, he was, you know, the, the shape of the team kind of, you know, with Iwata and injuries and so forth, kind of forced into him to be a more natural ten, and maybe that, mm. you know, and and, and, and oh, you'll never, I don't suspect he'll get as much space and time on the ball in central areas, close to goal as he got against Kilmarnock. But if you if you do that anywhere up to thirty yards out, if you give him time to bring the ball down take a yard forward and get his head up. You see what a beautiful striker of the ball he is. I mean, both the goals mm. he scored were wonderful finishes, but my God, he had time to take the ball down, progress a yard, and still nobody was on him. And he was inside the centre of the box. It was incredible. <laughs> big big fan of that. Big fan of that. So um, there's a question in on Twitter from JD, which sort of runs up this conversation around the game, and that is, uh, would love to hear James and Alan's thoughts on the statistics on Haksabanovic in comparison to our other wingers. He uh, JD says that he's not uh, convinced with him so far. So, I mean, we spoke about Haksabanovic off the bench and the impact that he can make against the tired team. What did we think of him as a starter in this game? I, I think he continues to, um, you know, as I, I, I've been using uh, recently the the analogy of, of a baseball analogy of a quad A player, meaning that he, he's against lower quality opposition. He can absolutely fillet them because uh, he's such a skilled player on the ball. Um, but you even see against, you know, teams like, uh, Kilmarnock, you know, any, any opposition that's relatively athletic, he has difficulty um, because of his relative lack of speed and kind of beating guys, you know, that, so he, he's crafty, he's good in space. He can even beat guys one-on-one in a dribble because he's, again, he's very skillful on the ball. Um, but, you know, I, 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 that just continues to be my, so this is not the kind of game where he's going to have a problem. Um in my mind, it's more so against teams that have more speed and and uh, can present him some of those those challenges. But yeah, I mean, he's just a really talented guy. I mean, on the ball, he's, he's his ability to manipulate the ball, pass the ball, uh, strike the ball. I mean, he's, he's just very high quality in that. And if you see, you know, stats back that up, meaning that he, he's he 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 um his stats display that of a high IQ player, right? So. Um, for me, it's it's his judgment, his decision making, all that stuff seems to be pretty good, uh, and his his production is good. It's just like my concern continues to be how that scales against higher quality. Um, and again, it's just <laughs> the way Kilmarnock played, uh, and and the level that they're at is 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 not the the case study to to test that thesis. 
Mm. A question from Stephen Donahue here, Alan. Could he be our number 10 then? So Celtic don't really play with a traditional number 10, but as a form of sort of changing the the shape in game for different situations. I think we've seen him as a 10 before for Celtic a couple of times, and it does work. It, does, it definitely does work when he drifts into the central areas. Yeah, I think we talked about this before, and certainly that's my my you know considered view really is that he would be better as a as a, as a sort of forward attacking number ten uh, rather than out wide simply because of the the pace and athleticism deficit that that he has. And I think we saw against Kilmarnock. So in terms of the three players that were brought in, you know, let's be honest, he probably was the one that did the least to make a compelling case for starting the next game. He's almost the opposite of Starfelt. So. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Starfield, I think, is a really, really good defender in the box. He's very rarely in the wrong position in the box. He's very good at getting to crosses. He's very good at clearing. He's very good at getting his body in the right position and so forth. I worry about when he's outside the box. Haksabanovic, I think, is one of these players who you need to get him as close to goal as you can. Okay, The further away from goal he is, the, the less effective he is because he doesn't have the physicality or the pace to be a difference maker uh, from distance. He's not going to, you know, beat a man and then release somebody. He's got the passing ability, but even even against Kilmarnock, you saw that he was just being, even when he cut in, he was just being crowded out off the ball too easily and knocked off it. I mean, he, nobody, nobody in that game lost the ball as in they were just simply tackled off of it more, more than he did. 11 times he was, he was, uh, he was challenged off the ball, which is four more than, than Maida. Um, Whereas if you get him closer to goal and you're just needing to drop a shoulder and get half a yard to because he's very, very creative, then I think that's that's really where you you'll see the best of him. But you know, unless we're going with Iwata and McGregor, you we just not going we just don't play that out and out number ten. That's 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 the problem. And then if you played him instead of O'Reilly, for example, then you're losing an awful lot of ability to turn the ball and to press effectively from the front, which is O'Reilly gives you that. It gives you excellent uh, front pressing and ball-winning capabilities uh, from the front, which I don't think is really part of Aksbanovic's game. So I, I think you can play him wide when you bring him on late in a game against tiring teams, and he's can be on the front foot and he can get the ball in high positions. But starting him as a wide player where he's going to have to sort of get the defence moving backwards and pushing them back. I just don't see that being a strong point for him, unfortunately. So it's a bit of a conundrum, really. I mean, it's early days again. He's played the equivalent of sort of 12 and a half games. It's, you know, it's enough to form a, you know, as I say, an opinion, which is what I'm trying to do. But, you know, it's, it's still relatively early. But I do worry that he'll end up not really finding a, a permanent role in this team because of the, the strengths and weaknesses that we've talked about there. That, that would be my concern. Mm-hmm. And just to finish off this conversation, there's links with Ajax for Leila Bada in the last couple of days. Um, he could be out the door in the summer. Uh, we've spoken about it before. We've gone into depth at it. But the question comes in from somebody who I can't find the comment anymore, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is uh, Rokovata the obvious replacement? Is he showing enough? I know he's what had 15 minutes total or so um, for Celtic so far, but is it too early to get excited about him coming in at, at this age? I mean, I th- I think personally that a player of his age being trusted by Ange to play within the structure that he wants to play has to have something about him 
and I'm going to go out and say that he's going to be playing in the starting team next season. Yeah, I mean, so um, yesterday was his birthday. So Rocco just turned 18, 18, yeah. Just turned 18. 18, So so happy birthday, Rocco. Um, But yeah, that so that would be, I mean, this is, I've talked about a lot. 18, 19 is if we're going to be developing the the echelon of talent that we aspirationally should be, um, he should be getting meaningful minutes next season. Um, material, not like, you know, come on late in the game because he's, tr- we're just trying to get him, uh, you know, a feel of, of the game. So I, I, I have no clue. I mean, it just haven't seen him enough. There's um, no idea, but I, ideally it, that would be the case. But again, th- this is the time of the year when you start to see teams that even maybe don't have that level of player, they, those players start to get those kind of minutes, right? These games, you know, we're up f- four nil against it or four one against a team that's you know basically completely overwhelmed uh it's late in the season we're getting there um you know comfortably well ahead in the league you know this is when you start getting the younger players throughout the years that's that's when they start to get some some minutes um so yeah i I, it'd be great i I have no clue if he does but um you know we've talked about i mean abada as quixotic as he is his deliverables when he's played and the, and the production has been at a level that's not going to be easy to replace. Um, so I, I think assuming that a guy like Vada could do that, I think would be, you know, a, a pretty, pretty tough ask. I'm not mm. saying it won't happen, but um, I, I hope it does. That would be great if we in, internally, cre- you know, produce that kind of talent. Um, yeah. But I, th- I think it's going to be a challenge. Depending on what happens with Mikey Johnson next season, your he, buddy, <laughs> he, I, I think that Rokovada will be in. He'll be in the UEFA squad because he'll count as a homegrown player. So I think if you're in their UEFA squad, then you should be pushing for minutes. And you see the talent that comes out of Celtic. Celtic have not been producing top level talent really in the last decade, at least you need to start seeing homegrown talent coming through the academy, whether um, we're dipping into the Japanese market or Korean markets every year, you need to see players coming from Scotland as well. And um, I well, think so that's, it's, it's that, promising to see. Right. So that's the question, right? Cause that's the inherent challenge that Celtic have because of some of the, you know, specific rules around um, being in Scotland and not really having a good pathway for these young players. Um, I don't think they've been terribly sophisticated in how they've placed players for loan spells either in the past. Um, I don't th- think there's been a lot of thought, you know, why Adam Montgomery has been at St. Johnston, right? I mean, I, how is that a development um, benefit for him <laughs> relative to playing at, at Celtic if he has a future, right? So, you know, so th- here's a guy, Vada, who's just turned 18, who's been playing in a B team in, you know, what effectively is a really, really, really lower league hasn't even been out on loan yet playing at a, you know, so is he going to make that kind of jump? You know, this is, this is not guys playing for Salzburg's B team in at Liefering in the second tier of Aust- Austrian football, right? This is a guy playing against basically part-timers um, in, in what is it? The fifth tier of, or one, two, three, yeah, the fifth tier of Scottish mm-hmm. football. Um, so that's a big ask, like the, for, to go from that all the way up to competing at, for first team minutes as a starter at Celtic. 
that's that's hard to do tough yeah i mean even about i mean about was playing senior football in israel and doing it at least a, a pretty good level at the same age that's not what vada's doing so again i, I think it would be it's a big ass to expect him to make that kind of jump. It's a big ass as anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. and again, that that's the problem with Celtics. I, I think that's partly why we've had such a, you know, flood of the top talent leaving is because they don't have that development pathway. Um, yeah. So is he capable of doing it because he's going to be playing for the Republic of Ireland? I'm going to say yes. Right. <laughs> so I, with, with Mikey Johnson coming back, Celtic will have two Republic of Ireland internationals starting at right and left wing. So, you know, that's my, that's my prediction for next year. <laughs> Liam skills to come back off loan as well. Plays left center back instead of Kobayashi. Then, then we're, we've got the, the whole eternity, you know, <laughs> seems like a Neil Lennon team. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. I would not put it past them. Uh, look, I think that's where we'll park today's show unless there's anything else that you just want to pick up on yeah the only other thing i and this is just a teaser heading in the next season is one of the things that i'm most interested in is you know going into season three how much more um um tactical flexibility and starts to to build in meaning that he's, he's gonna at that point have fully revamped the squad you know, a lot of diff- a lot of transfer windows. So, for example, when when Alan's describing these players, and I'm thinking about who we have, I, right away, it's like, well, that's we have the personnel for three, four, two, one, right? Still playing the way that Ange wants to play, but if you you know, if you want to have two two number tens in in Matt O'Reilly and Haxabanovich behind a striker, you have Awada and McGregor as the two sitting midfielders. We've talked about how uh, Alistair Johnson you know, profiles as a right center back in a back three. Um, you know what I mean? You know, so, so we, we start to see how some of these players could fit in roles that are still, you know, um, matching how Ange wants to play, but just a little bit more um, optimization, let's say, as far as um, tactical setup relative to personnel. Um, so that's I, I, because that is a system he's played in the past. So again, this is not coming out of nowhere. Like Ange has played three four two one. He's played four three four through three, and he's four, played four two three one. I mean, it has been kind of his primary um, going back, let's say five six seasons. So we we have seen very limited amounts of of that kind of flexibility. So I, I that, that continues to be something that I'll, I'll be curious to see as we head into um, next season whether we uh, kind of move in that direction a little more. Because because if we do, then I could see a Haxabanovich having, you know, a role, maybe not at the European level, but, you know, in, in filling depth through a, a long season of 60 plus games, that kind of role in that kind of system, I could see him actually being a really good fit um, in, in, a, in a certain kind of utilization. Mm-hmm. Anything from you, Al? You know, I'm just, you know, we've talked about the development pathway and how suboptimal that is, and it's, it has a massive impact, and it's probably contributed us to losing a lot of talent in the last few years. And that's a Scottish football problem. It's not just a Celtic problem. Um, you know, other other clubs have lost young players as well. So it does need fixing for sure. Um, it's almost better, really, that you have a well a well targeted, thoughtful loan. For somebody like a Vata or a or a Boston Lal, for example, um, than you put, play them in the B team, frankly. 
um, and, and and getting you know twenty eight minutes a season uh, in the first team. You know, if they were playing in I don't know a, a sort of a team in League One that's either challenging for the playoffs or challenging to keep out of the relegation zone, you know, they're going to learn a lot more, I suspect, in those circumstances. Um, so yeah, it, it, all, it all it all needs looking a bit. All you can say is that there's clearly a will within the club to try and push some of these players forward. You know, it looks like, um, you know, Steve McManus uh, and um, Darren O'Day have got a good relationship with uh, Postacoglu. Bata's got minutes. Summers has got minutes. Lowell's got minutes. So I think those are the three that they've got kind of high hopes for, really. And hopefully in the last five games, we'll get some more. But that's not going to do it. As James says, you can't just have 20 minutes and then you go back to playing B, you know, in the B League and the Lowland League, etc., which is where Celtic will be again uh, next season. That's better than nothing. It's competitive football. But, um, yeah, they, you need to think, where right, if these are the guys that are my prospects, where is the best option for them to be on loan? Uh, who plays in a similar-ish kind of style to us? You know, what sort of standard are they playing at? Oh, factor all those things in, really. Um, you know, but, yeah, so... It's, it's, it's difficult. It is difficult because we're fighting against the structure of Scottish football. We all know that there's little um, talent really at the high at the highest level of the game in Scotland to really sort of plot a path through that strategically. Yeah, it goes against all of my morals when it comes to football. But Celtic sort of need a second club somewhere that they're partners at least with that they're able to send these players to in the, a lower level. Now, the obvious choice for me for all of this is Shamrock Rovers, who Dermot Desmond also has shares in because the League of Ireland is definitely a higher standard than the Lowland Leagues and Shamrock Rovers are the best team in it. But the problem is they're probably too good. That's that's probably the, the issue is that Shamrock Rovers have players that are probably better than the players that Celtic would be sending out on loan. So the game time might be difficult unless you're dealing with a real talent and I, I guess the the um the obvious thing here is Johnny Kenny who, you know, didn't really make an impact at Celtic at all, but isn't really starting for Shamrock Rovers this season either when it comes to the League of Ireland. So yeah, it's it's an imperfect system so far and it's um it's gonna be imperfect for the next while. I don't think we have solutions on it i know you're getting shamrock rovers up on the table they're fourth at the minute but trust me they're the best in the <laughs> aren't Liam's you part of the, 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 Irish... that the uh, league of ireland has ever produced and you know he's struggling to get a game for Celtic. i would suggest who's that liam scales i thought liam scales was the best player that, uh, that come out of the league of ireland since roy Keane. no 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 not at all not at all <laughs> ross tierney for motherwell is clearly um I think that's where we'll park the show for today because I think we got, we got into as much as we possibly could from a 4-1 victory <laughs> against Kilmarnock where the, the league is already tied up. But uh, can I set you, you guys some homework for a future show, which I'm, I now have a good appetite to do? Sure. I would like to do a historical show on Henrik Larsson and his seasons with Celtic. I think that would be good. Um, now, I think it would make some people's head explode. I do think that. <laughs> But oh, wait, wait till I you would, get my um, wait. Wait till you get my John Barnes hot take on that. Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> if it's as hot as some of John Barnes's takes, I'm <laughs> going to need a good lawyer. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, can we do that? Will we do a Henrik Larson special show sometime before the end of the season, potentially? That doable? The, only, the only thing I'll say is, from a data perspective, I, I, I manually went through using Celtic Wiki and YouTube just to get like 
since 2000. It wasn't even didn't even go back to, to his first two seasons. Just from 2000 onwards, so I had a this century view on goals and assists. It was really just to collect assists because obviously goals you can read that anywhere. But to get the assists, I went back and but that's re- really uh, all we've got to go on. Don't have any of the sort of advanced stats or anything like that. So just bear that in mind. Not saying we shouldn't do. It. I'm just saying you know bear in mind it'll be kind of stats light in that regard. It'll focus on goals and assists, and that's probably pretty much it. Sure, that's the only stat that matters on is the <laughs> goals that go in and the goals that don't. At the end of the day, you tell you're in a bad mood. Uh, all right we will uh, park the show there if you are watching on youtube do keep the comments coming loads of conversations going on there and make sure to like the video while you're in the comments as well it helps the algorithm pop us up everywhere else on on youtube for those people who aren't subscribed to the channel already and this show will be available on podcasts on itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcast i'm going to go out and enjoy the sun Uh, alan james i hope you are too and uh, everyone else, have a good evening. We'll chat to you later. Good luck. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the game. And now you play it all about control And if you can take it all about your death And if you can play it it's all about pain And who's gonna make it? I am the game, you don't wanna play me I am control, no way you can shake me I am heavy death, no way you can pay me I am the pain, and I know you can't take me Look over your shoulder, ready to run Like a Cleveland bitch from a smoking gun I am the game, and I may lose So move on out, you can die like a fool Try to figure out what my mood's gonna be Come on over, circle, why don't you ask me? Don't you forget there's a price you can pay Cause I am the game and I want to play
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.